This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. A shout out to all of Unfound's supporters at Patreon, PayPal, and YouTube. You make this content possible. Kimberly Ann Moreau was a 17-year-old from Jay, Maine. She was very popular and close to her sisters. On the night of May 10th, 1986, a Saturday, Kimberly was allegedly dropped off down the street from her house by a guy who had been with her all day. Kimberly never arrived at her home. She was never seen again. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound. Given the format of Unfound, we measure the ages of the disappearances covered here in years. In fact, many years, with the average age of a case being almost a quarter of a century old. Yet, every single one of these disappearances starts by being only one second old, then two seconds. Then, unfortunately, they get to minutes and days and months and sometimes decades. And we even have several disappearances we've featured that are easily over a half century old. Evelyn Hartley, Bill Underhill, Marianne Verdeckia, to name just a few. But we've also covered how extreme the range of disappearance realization can be. Tiffany Johnson was only out of sight of her brother for 30 seconds, yet she is still missing. Susie Lyle's walk to her dorm was only a minute long. Despite that, somebody certainly abducted her. Milda McQuillan was only two minutes from her destination, yet she never got there. Allegedly. Whereas Eric Franks' family didn't realize something was wrong for about eight months. Well, with the disappearance of Kim Moreau, she told her sister she would be back in an hour. But here we are in 2024, and Kim's family is still waiting. What happened in those 60 minutes? And now a summary of the case. This is brought to you by my friend Megan Lyonez's website, charlieproject.org. If you've seen a picture of Kim Moreau in the run-up to this episode then you should not be surprised when I say she was a popular girl, especially among the boys and maybe some girls too. But there was more to Kim than that. She had a 9 out of 10 brain to go with her comparable looks. Kim was friendly, loved to talk. Most importantly, Kim was close to her family. They always came first. She seemed to have a firm base on which to build the rest of her life. However, problems had popped up to undermine that foundation. 
Kim's quality of friends had decreased and she had probably started to use drugs. So on May 10th, 1986, Saturday, early in the day, Kim was with a female friend and they decided to jump into a car with that girl's boyfriend and his friend, both very much older, to ride around the J main area. Seemingly, and despite the big age difference, everything went fine. And that night, Kim came home for a few minutes to go to the bathroom. Her sister saw her. They spoke briefly. Nothing seemed amiss. Kim was not drunk or high or anything. Nothing seemed to be wrong with her. She said she would be back in an hour. Brian Enman, one of the two older guys, would later say that he dropped Kim off down from her house early in the morning of May 11th. She was never seen again. He says he does not know what happened after that. The topic of popular women and the men around them has popped up many times on this podcast going back to the Rebecca Gary episode from 2017. Please contemplate how that might be a factor in Kim's disappearance as you also try to answer these three questions during the interview. Number one, why would a close female friend keep her mouth shut if she knew something about Kim's disappearance? Number two, are the words of Brian after the disappearance not as suspicious as they appeared to be at the time? And number three, Could damage to the car Kim was in that day, seemingly done around the time of her disappearance, be an unlikely clue for her case? Kim's family certainly believes foul play occurred. The guests for this episode are Kim's father, Richard, and her sisters, Diane and Karen. Unfound News. This coming Monday... February 12th is a big day for Unfound. There will be a press conference at 10 a.m. Eastern here in the United States where the resolution to a disappearance Unfound featured will be revealed. I think it will be streamed live. Please look for posted links in the Facebook group and on the page. Once again, Monday, February 12th at 10 a.m. Eastern. Next, Dr. T and I had another great time on her show this past Thursday, February 8th. We discussed what I consider to be the most important case from a learning point of view that Unfound has ever covered. The 2012 disappearance of Crystal Morrison, who was found in 2019. If you missed it, please find it on Dr. T's YouTube channel. Finally, keep your eyes and ears peeled for the interviews with my assistants Carrie, Emily, Eric, and Cherie that I've done over the past month. I'll be releasing them one by one. You will certainly find them interesting. I'm so happy to have on this episode of Unfound the father, Richard, of Kimberly Moreau and her sisters, Karen and Diane. Richard, Karen, and Diane, welcome to Unfound. Thank you for having us. You're very welcome. I'm happy to do it. Let's start here. Uh, let's just talk about, of course, being that we have the father and two children, two of the children, uh, I think we're going to get a pretty good idea of this. 
just talk about the Moreau home of the 1980s. I'm a child of the 1980s. I'm 53 years old. I think uh, the demographic for Unfound is a lot of people in their 50s, so they remember the 1980s well. Richard, Karen, and Diane, you know, just maybe give us some memories of the Moreau house of the 1980s, if you could. Well, in the 1980s, I was working in the paper mill. I worked ship work. Uh, we were a typical family. Had my three girls. We had uh, my first wife was going through, in the 80s, she was going through cancer. Oh, she was doing well, but going through cancer, and we would sit down as a family and would always talk about what was going on and what we could expect to see from the doctors. And, yeah. Um, it was really a very typical family. Yeah. We had, uh, we turned around and as it went, mm -hmm. there's three years apart between each of the girls. Okay. All right. So there are three, yeah. three children and Kimberly is the baby and there right. are four years separating the four, the three of you. No, three oh. years apart. Three years They're apart, each man. three years apart. All right, I'm bad at math. Jim will be 55 right now. Karen will be 58, and Diane will be 61. Okay. Kim's birthday is January 21st, 1969. Okay. Her birthday is Sunday. Okay. So... All right, so there's a, a three-year gap between the three of you. She was the baby. Yes, she was. Okay, and how did the three of you all get along as sisters? <laughs> I was fine because I was living out of the house. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. I was the oldest. I'm six years older than her. Yeah. So we, Kim and I got along fine. She wanted to use my car. She'd be using my car. She'd have to bring me someplace, drop me off. And then she'd have to come back and get me. The mm. deal was, you put gas in the car, otherwise you don't use it. Right. Okay. And uh, you had been out of uh, the house for how long? Several years? Just a few years? Or after you graduated years. high school? Or what? After I got out of high school, I left. Okay. I had been out at least a couple of years of the house. Okay. All right. So we have the three daughters, and Kimberly being the youngest, her being slightly older, than I am, and if, you know, I don't know, you don't have to, but I'll ask, uh, what do you remember? Of course, your mother was suffering from cancer at the time. Uh, I'm guessing you remember it the way your father does. Very difficult time. Yes, very, very difficult time. Yeah. Bringing you back and forth to radiation and chemotherapy, you know, mm -hmm. this is something that no families had to, should ever have to go through. Mm -hmm. And then we're trying to deal with that, and then, then Kim disappears on top of it. Right. It's not something little family should have to go through. Right. How do you, if you could speak, of course, for Kimberly, who's not here to speak for herself, uh, same thing, very difficult. What do you remember about Kimberly and the relationship she had with her mother and Kimberly finding out that your mother had cancer? How did, how did that go for her? I mean, obviously very difficult, but, you know, uh, what kind of relationship did she have with her mother when that happened? She was here. She was like the rest of us. We yeah. were all stunned. Yeah. We did anything and everything we could to make my mother happy yeah. and try to make her transition into this cancer world a little bit more easy, which is not easy no. going through it. 
Right. You know, she had breast cancer and then it moved from her breast, it moved into a lymph node and then it moved into her liver. And then they said there was nothing else they could do for her. Yeah, and the probably listeners have known uh, me for a long time know that both of my biological parents died of cancer, but they, uh, I guess your mother was very young compared to my biological parents who died like in their late 70s into their 80s of cancer. So this is certainly, was, certainly tragic. Certainly. I was 48 years old when my mother died. Wow. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that. Well, the other thing on it, the other thing, too, she was doing very well with her cancer treatments up until the time that Kim disappeared. Mm -hmm. Then all the additional pressures of Kim disappearing and us trying to get help to uh, get people to investigate this just put all that additional pressure on her, and, uh, and we've always felt that that's what caused her to pass on. Yeah, that, that happens. She has to add stress. Right. Nobody should have to have that. I mean, there was financial stress on there as well as just the regular stress from every day right. going on us. Because at the time, in order to make a phone call 10 miles away, it was a, it was a toll call. At the time, and we were spending anywhere from 600 to $1,000 a month on top of all of our, our other expenses. Yeah. Just on telephone bills. Uh -huh. Yeah, hospital bills and everything. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, cancer, of course, can get very expensive very quickly. Yes. Very quickly. Yes, again. Okay. Let's move on to this now. Please, go ahead. Please. You haven't heard from me. I'm yeah, Karen, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm talk to you a little bit about Kim. Please, go ahead. Let's uh, do that. Kim and I shared a bedroom for a lot of years because of living in a trailer and having Kim by my side. We used to lay in bed and talk sometimes. And I want you to know that Kim was a beautiful girl. She had blonde hair, blue eyes, and I'll politely tell you that she could get a boyfriend with no issue. She was a beautiful girl. She was somebody who liked to dance. She wanted to be a model. Kim had lots of people around her that wanted to be her friend. Kim wanted to fit in and just be liked. Yeah. Kim was a cheerleader. She was always active, always in crowds. And I just want people to know that there's a lot more to Kim's story and how much we miss her yeah. than just her disappearance. She was alive. She didn't deserve this. And my family needs closure. We need mm -hmm. somebody to pipe up, tell us where her remains are, and let us process our grief because although we've been going through this for 38 years, we have so many unanswered questions. My mother, my grandparents, and my aunt are all buried in one cemetery, and we have a headstone for Kim there. Mm -hmm. We hope someday to lay her to rest beside my mom. Right. 
We always hope that in heaven they've been reunited. But I honestly feel that Kim can't be at peace until this is closed. We, we, I consider Kim a lost soul and my family needs help, help that we still to this day, 38 years later, are not getting. And we've gone through hell and no family deserves what we've been through. I hear you. Uh, doing this for seven and a half years, I think this is like number 325 of the disappearances that I've featured on my podcast. So, similar sentiments by many of my guests, especially for disappearances that go back to the 1980s and 70s, especially. Yeah. And it's very important that so many other families were out there. So you were the one that got to share a room uh, with Kim. Would you say that you two were very similar? Would you say she's like the, the polar opposite of you? How would you explain oh, your person? So How would you explain? <laughs> we're, we're so different. Okay. Kim is different in good ways. <laughs> Kim and I were more alike than Karen and Kim were. Okay. Gotcha. All right. So uh, Diane and Kim kind of alike, but... Karen and Kim, uh, a little bit different. Okay, that that, that happens, in, 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 I guess, in families. Let everybody's uh, a little bit different. So, um, so we have this. Maybe just to ask you a little bit more about Kim. Um, let's move on to this. Of course, the there's uh, of course her disappearance has been in the media quite a bit over the years. And there is talk about this boyfriend. We don't need to get into his name, but how much do you want to say about him? What was being, uh, Karen, that you were like the middle one and still, I guess, were at home. You know, what can you say? Or maybe, Richard, you want to get on this as well. Is that this boyfriend, we don't get need to get into names, but how serious was it? Can you t What can you say about this boyfriend that she was with at the time of her disappearance? Of course, not with him, but, you know, in a relationship with him at the time. <coughs> Well, I would say that they, he turned around and uh, they were quite serious at the time. Okay. A couple of days before she disappeared, she caught him in bed with one of her friends. Wow. And that's where all the problems started. There was, uh, so that's where everything is. It was coming up to junior prom night and so forth, and that's mm -hmm. where everything went the other way. Because she was mm -hmm. mad at him, and she wasn't talking to him, and she mm -hmm. wasn't seeing him, and so forth. And that's where everything went the other uh, direction. Okay. Now, Richard, I have to ask. I have to ask you, Richard. Is this being that I don't know? Uh, I don't have any kids, by the way, but I was a kid at one time. Uh, is this something that you found out right away that she caught her boyfriend doing this? Or is this something you did not find out until after she went missing? Do you remember? I didn't know about it until uh, after she disappeared. She did, okay. But uh, there was a lot of people that knew about it before. Okay. And I'll ask uh, Karen, being that you were uh, still uh, living at home, we've established that Diane was out of uh, the house by that time, but I'll ask Karen first, uh, did you know about this when it happened? Did like Kimberly come you know, to you and say, hey, this is what happened? No, I think she I, I wasn't living at the house at the time, but oh. I think Kim was embarrassed of what he was doing to her, mm -hmm. and she didn't want to tell people. 
I mean, her friends knew because they were around her, yeah. but as a family, I don't think any of us knew it until we started investigating and trying mm. to find out where she was. We were start, mm. and then we started digging things up. Right. You got to remember, we she disappeared in May. Yeah. We did not have any real police help until August, September, September. September. Yeah. So we were doing all the investigation and we were finding out all these different things and everybody was just trying to keep everything hush hush from us okay so somebody else told you it wasn't the boyfriend that told you after she went missing it was somebody else told you that they had this falling out because i don't know did she go over to his house or whatever and she caught him with another girl it was it was one of her close friends that told yeah. us when we picked the telephone up and we started calling around seeing if anybody okay. had seen her because we could not get any help from the local police at the time. Okay. Did this boyfriend... Please. All the local police kept telling us was she was a runaway mm -hmm. and not to worry that she'd come home. Okay. And that happens. Okay. Not saying I agree with it, but we know that happens, especially when it's teenagers. Uh, you know, that happens to this day in 2024. Uh, I and, and I don't know why they do that. Um, is this something that the boyfriend, did the boyfriend eventually confess to this when he was confronted? Did he say, yeah, that actually happened? Did it happen? Did he, did he admit to it? He wouldn't admit it to, he wouldn't admit it to any of us, but, uh, okay. we did find out from, we did find out later on, uh, from other people that yeah. it did definitely happen. Okay. Did and this friend, that was the whole problem. And what about this, uh, once again, just want to make sure we understand this and we can move on. Did this friend who was this allegedly good friend of Kim's who was with him, did she admit it? Did she finally come forward? Yeah, that happened. I'm really embarrassed by it. I'm sorry about it. Did she admit to it? Yes. She did. Okay. All right. So they have this falling out there, you know, they're, and he gets caught uh, with her good friend and this is just something to keep in mind. And of course, she goes missing not long after this. Let's move on to this. Uh, was Kim, she has this boyfriend, but they... Not, Please. The one that he was in bed with was yeah. not Kim's good friend. Oh. Okay. She was friends with her, but not a good friend. Not a good How's friend. That? Okay. Somebody she went to school with. That's it. They went to school, they got the acquaintances through school and okay. all of that stuff. Okay. So her this... friend is the one that told her that it was a good friend, but uh, she wasn't. Okay. All right. So a girl that, it, that knows Kim ends up uh, with this boyfriend, and I'm, I don't you know, know if we need, once again, if we need to go any deeper into that. We just need to know they had a falling out not long before her disappearance, and this is the reason. Moving on, uh, was Kim involved in any bad crowd or anything like that? Uh, besides, you know, the boyfriend doesn't sound like a very good guy, but um, was she, you know, what kind of people was she hanging around with at the time? Good people? Were you a little worried about this? Maybe one of the sisters wants to talk about this, maybe because they might know a little bit more about it, at least at the time. Either one of you, what can you say? Kim hanging around... You know, good people or maybe going the wrong direction? Kim wanted to fit in. Kim wanted to be liked. And Kim was more or less a follower. Kim 
wanted to be in crowds and so forth and got her mixed up in some bad people, things that mm -hmm. we, we had a very small community. Yeah. And everybody seems to know everybody else, so you know who the partiers are. And she got involved with the partiers. Mm -hmm. Did that surprise Which you? Which isn't a good thing at 17, and I know that, but it mm -hmm. wasn't... It, it, Kim was efficient. She was just trying to fit in and... Maybe getting a little rowdy, okay. trying to follow the group that she was involved with. Okay. And uh, is that how the, the other, you other two, is that how you remember it as well? Maybe Richard, I mean, were you aware of this as her father at the time? Of course, you know now, but is this something that you were aware of at the time? I only know the two people that she was involved with. Mm-hmm. Uh, one was supposedly the one that she was with that day was uh, Rhonda. And right, we're going to talk about we know her. That, we know that uh, Rhonda was hanging around with a with a rather rough crowd. Okay, she was hanging around with some people that were doing drugs and so forth. And uh, and, and Rhonda was also a neighbor. Okay. We waited with Rhonda for the bus every day. Wow. She was somebody that lived very close to us. So point blank, when you're in school, it's hard to not see people because yeah. you're riding the same bus, you're at the same bus stop yep. and so forth. Now, <clears throat> Rhonda really came into Kim's life like, I'm going to say six months before she went missing okay. and in, in being at the same bus and doing the same routine, you get to chit chat with people. So Kim wanting to fit in, followed Rhonda around and unfortunately became involved in a rougher crowd. But okay. I, I want to point out too, Kim went to school every day. Mm -hmm. She, had a job. She worked at McDonald's. She had her own car. <coughs> she just was a very busy girl. It's not mm -hmm. like she was a doped up druggie I'm... that sat on the couch and did nothing. I'm... She was a 17 year old energetic person that really wanted to just have fun with life. That's why cheerleading and dances and Lots of people. Okay, gotcha. All right, so this uh, maybe this could just be a phase. We know a lot of teenagers maybe you know get in the wrong crowd and they work their way out of it, and then some people don't. This could have just been a phase for her. We of course yeah. we, we it just very could have simply been a phase, and by the summer uh, of that year, that those people could have been in the rearview mirror. Of course, we'll never know that now. Moving on, uh, just in general. Who are Brian, Darren, and Calvin? Of course, we're going to get into them specifically later. But in general, who were they? Were they friends of your family? 
Uh, were they known to all three of you before she went missing? What can you say about those three, just as a whole? Calvin was the only person that we knew. Okay. He used to run a play. He used to run a place, an arcade place in mm. our hometown, okay. and that's the only reason why any of us knew Calvin. Um, he wasn't a very good guy. Calvin is somebody who has killed another girl. He took her for a car ride, and they got into an accident. Instead of taking her to the hospital, he put her outside the car, propped her against a tree, and she died. He is also known for okay. biting a chunk out of a game warden's face. Wow. Um, yeah, right. Calvin is not a very, very nice person. He, he, Brian and Darren are somebody that I have still to this day... I've only met Brian once, and that was okay. when we were interviewing him. Okay. And I've never met Darren. These all the only reason why we know of these people is they were drug dealers. Okay. Uh, going back, I need to, of course, you're going to bring up that somebody died in Calvin's presence. A woman died in Calvin's presence. When did this happen? Was this before or after Kim's disappearance? Before. They, this happened in about 1978. Okay. 79. All right, and what do you remember this woman's name? Uh, you know, if this happened. Yes, her name is her name is Cindy Fournier, and Calvin was much older than her at the time when okay. this happened. Okay, and all Calvin three. Please, Calvin liked to hang around with the young people because he could control them, and makes them do whatever he wanted. Actually, so you could be like little puppets of his. Okay, and so what we're also saying is all three of these guys, well into their twenties. Well, of course, we know Kim's age, but. These guys were all very much older than than Kim would have been at the time. At the, yes. yes, Brian and Darren, I think, were close to twenty five. Okay. Okay, and Kelvin, just an approximate around the same age, or even older than that. Maybe right around the same age. Might have been. I'm not sure. It could be a year younger. Okay. Very, very close to the same age. Okay. And so we're all these guys, and once again, we're going to talk to them extensively a little, a lot deeper later. But all these three guys, very close friends, all three of them together, like three three peas in a pod, or what? No idea. Never knew them. Never knew them. It's okay. hard to tell if they're friends because I never knew them. Okay, very good. Thank you for that. All right, let's just some uh, just general questions before we get into May tenth, and we'll get into why maybe why that date has got confused because we had that conversation before we got started, and I. If certainly, if you have an explanation for the dates being wrong, certainly the audience wants to hear it. But just at the time overall between the three of you, given that we just talked about, um, of course, this breakup of the relationship, not Kimberly's fault, but maybe going in a little bit of the wrong direction. Any worries about Kim? Was this just teenager stuff? Any talks with her with you, the two sisters? Any talks with her about what she was doing with her life? Any concerns about Kimberly at all in May of 1986? No, Kim had lived away from us for the summer before because she worked in Farmington, Maine, okay. which was where McDonald's was, where she worked. And it was a 30-minute drive. So the summer before that, while she was working, she had asked my parents, I have a place to stay in Farmington. I'm going to be staying with these people. And is it okay? My parents gave her permission to stay at this place. When she was living there... We saw her more 
Then she was living at the house because she used to call every day to find out how everybody was doing, just making sure that we all kept in contact with her every day. She wasn't somebody who just all of a sudden took off and went somewhere mm -hmm. and didn't answer you. Okay. She was always there and was willing to be, you know, willing to sit down and talk to you. Sure. And then uh, all of a sudden for her to disappear and have nobody give us clues as to where she was right. or why this was going on, you know, it made our life wonder and still to this day makes us wonder how this could happen without any of us knowing. Right. So I guess overall, not a lot of worry regarding her, anything, any concerns about anything going on in her life at that time that you thought was dangerous. And for any three, all no. three. No. Okay. No. Very good. That's all. You, you knew her. We, please. Please, I, I'm sorry I, I missed it. Nope, that's okay. And it's harder on the phone. We can't tell who's talking. <laughs> that's so. all right. You go ahead. You just, uh, I can, uh, this all, it's all, it's all going to sound great. If you had something to say, go ahead and say it, please. Kim disappeared May 10th. Yeah. I think a lot of times the confusion with the date is because I say she disappeared at 11 o'clock that night. Oh, I got you. I came home, I was at home, and Kim drove in, and I talked to her at 11 o'clock that night, and she told me she was going out for a ride, she'd be back in an hour, I had no reason to say that I felt Kim was in danger that night. She did not come in the house that night tripping and slurring words and falling down. She seemed happy. She was upbeat. The same old Kim that I knew any other day. So I just want you to know that yeah. I was the last family member to talk to her. Yeah. And th there were no doubts because if I would have thought Kim was in danger, I would have jumped in front of that door and never let her go out. But I had no reason to fear that she wasn't telling the truth. And I had no reason to think that my sister wouldn't be coming back in an hour. Right. If Kim was gonna run away, she had a car in the driveway. She had mm -hmm. makeup and a purse and belongings at home. Kim would not have ever left home right. willingly without bringing a lot of her possessions because Kim was very prim proper and she would stay at home curling her hair, putting on makeup. She wanted to look just so before leaving. Hmm. I need, and, let me, let me, let's just set this up maybe a little bit. Being Karen that you were there and what is the, but for the both of you, for, of course, for Diane and Richard as well, what is your understanding as to what went on earlier that day before Kimberly came home and Karen, you saw her? What is your understanding for the timeline before on May 10th? Your understanding. She was out with Rhonda. Okay. Rhonda saw these two guys, what would be Darren and Brian. Okay. They had a brand new car with 10-day plates on it. <coughs> and 
they wanted to go for a ride. So the two guys picked him up and put him in the back of their car. Well, they took them around. They started doing some drugs. They were drinking, I think. I'm not sure exactly if they were doing drinking at that point in time. Mm -hmm. But they were riding around from town to town to town and just having a grand old time. Okay. That all started at about... uh... She left the house around quarter of 11 that morning. They walked down to a pack, which is about a mile away. And that's where they, that's where they were down there, just leaning against the wall, talking when uh, Darren and Brian came by. Right. They seen them, and they, turned, they, went, they went around, and uh, they came back. They got talking with them, they got in the car, they rode around town, rode around town, and so forth, and they mm-hmm. went out of town, they came back in town, mm-hmm. and, uh... Okay. This all happened the day of the prom that they this were supposed to... the day of the prom. That she was supposed to be attending with her boyfriend, so she's just trying to do something, so she's not thinking about what she should be doing with her friends. Right, right. okay. Gotcha. All right, so she's just joyriding around, like, uh, you know, uh, as a Gen Xer. Uh, we all remember these days. Of course, this is days before internet and phones and everything else. Just joyriding, going from town to town. That's what they were doing that day. That's yep. exactly right. Okay, very good. Yes, it's a lot cheaper than <laughs> we could do it. That's right. And, uh, you know, I wanted, I, I need to work this out with Richard. Of course, Richard and I were the ones that had the first conversation um, Richard, did we ever figure out what kind of car this was? What kind of car was this? Yes, Chevy Monaco. Oh yeah. And those... I know they sold Trans Am, but if you look at the two the two cars yeah. that year, they're almost identical. Right, Monte Carlos. I of course remember this. Fantastic cars. All right, now we got so it's a Chevy Monte Carlo new with ten day plates and. Right. Uh, you know, these guys are trying to impress a couple girls with it. Okay, gotcha. And just so that, because we don't know for sure that it was a Monte Carlo, you mm. should say, or a Trans Am. Or please. a Trans Am. Okay, gotcha. All we know for sure, it was, it was white. It was white. Okay, very, uh, gotcha. That, uh, that all makes sense now. Thank you. Now, uh, Karen, being that you were the one who was home, you saw her when Kim came home, and she was just home for a few minutes, do you have an impression? Of course, if you knew what was going to happen, you would have paid a lot closer attention. We totally understand. We got it. But were there things that she brought in that she didn't take back out? Did it? Why did it look like she came home for just those few minutes? If she's just out joyriding around, why did she just come home for a couple minutes? Can, can you even tell that now, Karen? She came in to go pee. Oh, did she? They were closing by and she had to pee. Okay. She had to use the restroom. <laughs> okay, I had to ask. All right, so it's very, once again, something very innocent. Very something innocent, yep. and it was convenient. All right, very good. That's that's why I asked these questions. It wasn't something uh, any else other than having to go to the bathroom. We get it. Um, and you said she just seemed like herself. It did, I have to ask, did it seem like, I just have to ask. Did she seem like she might have been drunk or high, or or did she just seem sober, just regular old Kim? Regular old Kim, I talked to her. She seemed happy. She seemed chipper. She was not bouncing around drunk. It was my sister. Okay, great. So she comes in. And uh, 
Richard, uh, you know, you worked at night. Is that the reason you weren't there? Uh, was no, Kim's mother sure. there? Was Was anybody else there? Or Karen, you were the only one who saw her. No, Karen was the only one. No. Karen, Karen and Bob were the ones that saw her. My husband now was there oh. as well. Okay. We were dating at the time, and I, mm -hmm. I, we were both home, and Kim came in. Okay. So, and uh, so the boyfriend you had at the time, you're still, you're married today here in 2024. Yeah. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. Good for you, Karen. Very happy for you. All right. Two kids and a grandson to prove it. Great. <laughs> yeah, that's a great story. Okay. Thank you. So you and your uh, boyfriend at the time, future husband were there. So she comes in and um, any talk, being that there was somebody else there who, of course, you're still married to. Um, you two have obviously had a hot, lot of time to talk about that night since then. Was there anything that your husband noticed at the time that maybe you didn't, or it was just like, yep, just regular old Kim? Has he ever yeah. said anything? My, my husband is the one that actually saw the car. Oh, he did? I was sitting, yes, okay. he's the one that saw the car. We, that's, and you figure, it's 11 o'clock at night outside and we knew it was a sports car. I, I really wish today I had been more motherly and asked lots of questions. But we chatted for a minute, and it was just everyday talk, you know? Okay. All right, so we have two witnesses there. She's just being herself. You thought she would be uh, back in an hour, and of course we know... Uh, that she didn't come back in an hour. She didn't seem stressed or any anything like that. So the night goes on, and of course, then eventually we go from May 10th into May 11th. For all three of you, or or whoever, um, when did somebody start noticing that something wasn't right here? She was supposed to be home. Who was the first one that noticed that? Well, when I came home with my wife, because we had been across the street, she was about to end up. And she was working at the VFW, and when we came across the street, she turned around and uh, we got home, and first thing we always did is checked on the girls when we got in. We went in and checked, and she was at home. Well, that was very strange, because here it is, it was after 1 o'clock. Yeah. So we thought that was strange. Asked Karen about it. Karen says, "Well, she said she'd be right back, Dad." And off. And so I says, "Okay." So we went out in the kitchen, and my wife and I sat down, made some coffee, and sat there and started talking. At quarter to three in the morning, she was at home. I knew something was up. Okay. But she had never done that. We went to the police station. They told us that. They wouldn't take a deposition for at least 48 hours to go home and okay. that she'd be back home. Okay. So we went back home. Okay. 48 hours, 48 hours later, we're back at the police station. He didn't want to take a deposition then. And um, fortunately, I got a little rude. And I think I that's kinda, understood. Under, we understand that. Uh, said, you are going to take a damn deposition one damn way or another. Okay. I said, you're running us around here in circles for nothing. Okay. 
summer. Finally, the chief of police was sitting there. He says, oh, just take his deposition. That's just the way he said it. All right. So the officer sitting there, turned around, took down the deposition at that point. Now, mm-hmm. that's as far as that went. Okay. That, I may as well filled out a piece of paper and thrown it out here in the wind and just let it blow around because that's it. That's as much as uh, would have been. Okay. So. Now I have to ask for all, and I, I want to ask all three of you, being that it, you know, the police blew you off originally and then two days later they took the report, but as we know, it was basically just uh, a formality and they didn't seem to be taking it seriously at all, as Richard just explained. Not at all. In those two days, did, in those 48 hours, did the names, did, did Brian's name come up? Did any other names come up? Did Rhonda come up? Did any of you like contact any of them? Did you even know where to look or who to call about during those 48 hours? Being that the police weren't going to do anything, did you try to talk to Rhonda or anybody else? Hey, where's Kim? Where did she go? What'd you do? They tried to, they, instead of talking to Rhonda, they got a hold of Rhonda's mother, okay. who was Jean Breton. Okay. And they tried talking to her and getting information from her. And she didn't want to be involved. She didn't want to be involved. Okay. And, and but she's. All we've ever got was nobody wants to be involved. Okay. And she, to remind everybody, she's your neighbor, right? She lived right down the street. Yes, yes, lived down the street and up a, up a side road. Okay, very good. And so was she, from where we stood, from where we stood at the bus stop, yeah. we could see this woman's house. Okay. So it's not like she didn't see us. Okay. In your opinion, would you say once again, just an opinion, would you say that her mother, Rhonda's mother, was trying to shield her daughter from being questioned about Kim? In your opinion? No, I just oh. think that she thought that we were just making things up, and oh, okay. that they didn't want to be involved. Okay. Okay. And so uh, Rhonda was... I remember that is that night please. that she disappeared too. And yeah. Is that it was 38 degrees outside. Oh, yeah. The only thing Kim was wearing, she had on a short sleeve, uh, white blouse, a pair of dungarees, and a pair of high-top sneakers when she left the house and was going to be back within the hour. Okay. And... Mm-hmm. That never came to tuition, right. as you, as we all know. Right. And, you know, maybe that's, I mean, yeah, 38 degrees being dressed like that, of course, is not smart. But we also have to realize that when she left the, the house that day, it was daylight. And maybe it got up into the 60s that day. You know, the, that time of year in May and May can draft drastic temperature changes. It was nice that day, yeah. but it had cooled yeah. off that night, and it was down to 38 degrees when she dropped it, uh, her little jacket and her purse and everything else off at, at, at the house. Okay. Now, I should ask, uh, this friend Rhonda, we're going to get into her later because of some things that happened to her, but so she was like Kimberly's age, like 16, 17, 18 years old, somewhere in there? She was Kim's age. She was in the same class as Kim. Oh, okay. And so, do you think during that 48 hours before the police took the, the report, do you think that she knew that Kim was missing? Yes, yes, okay. definitely. Right. She knew. Okay, but she never came over to your house to say, here's what happened that night or anything like that? No. I, I was at a bar one night. This is 
Kim disappeared in May. This is this, this is New Year's Eve, the same year. Okay. Well, starting the following year. Okay. I was at a bar room, and Kim was there, and we're. I'm mean, excuse me, not Kim. Rhonda was there. Sure. And it took seven people to hold me off her because I was trying to ask her to tell me where she was, wow. and she didn't want to open her mouth. And it took seven guys to get me off this girl because I was going to kill her. Okay. All right. Because in my I mind, it. I still say she knows what happened. And with her just hiding it, all she was doing was hindering what these other people, which we don't know who they are for sure, but these other people that did something to her, she was hiding it from them. Calvin was also known that when when he hurt Cindy Fornia and killed her that night, that there was other people that were in the car with him. Mm-hmm. And he told the other people right then and there, you keep your mouth shut, you open your mouth, and I will make sure something happens to you too. Okay. So Calvin was a real crooked person that everybody was afraid of but wanted to be his friend. Okay, gotcha. All right, so we, we have all this going on, and in fact, uh, Rhonda, who Kim knew well, bus, uh, knowing from the bus stop and school, the story is that the those two and these two other guys were out together all day, but then Kim goes missing, and not and Rhonda just avoids talking to your family totally. Yes. Okay. All right. She, got, okay. She stayed with Darren. She stayed with Darren. She continued to go out with him even after Kim disappeared. Okay. All right. So we'll move on to this then. So it's very important. We're going to come back to Rhonda here in a moment. But when did uh, so we know about. I uh, just mentioned him, Darren. But what about Brian? When did his name get into this? Because if you go forward, this is just an example. If you go to the Pro- Charlie Project, his name is the first one mentioned as he was driving the car and everything. When did his name first come up? And you did say that you um, actually talked to him. So why don't we talk about that right now? Same time. Same time. Same time as Darren. Okay. Because they they were they were best friends, and mm-hmm. Brian was driving Darren's car around mm-hmm. when he took him to work. Because Darren, Brian supposedly dropped Darren off at work, and then continued riding around with Kim and Rhonda after he brought him to work. Okay, so that's the story. So to me, if we're to believe this, I don't know if we're, this is true or not. But so Kim comes home, she goes back out, she gets in the car. And then one of these guys gets dropped off at work. No, before Kim came home. Before Kim came home. He had to be to work. Yeah, this guy was going to be working 11 to 7 shift. Okay, great. So he had to be in work in Rumford for 10, 10.30 at night. Okay. And so it's after that then. After the fact. All right, very good. So then it's after that that Karen and her future husband see Kim come home, go to the bathroom, then leave again. So it's then Kim, Rhonda, and Brian. Correct. All right. Very good. Okay. That's once again, if that's all the information we have and we realize something went on in here somewhere, but that's, that's the information that we have here in 2024. By the way, we're doing this interview on January 25th of 2024. All right. So I wish I would have got up and looked out the window. I wish I would have asked even more questions. A lot of... Um, we know that the white sports car was there. Mm-hmm. We cannot say who was in it for sure. Okay. They couldn't see from where they were. Okay. 
But it makes all the sense in the world logically, and it makes all the sense in the world if it is true, that's factual, that Rhonda and Kim were with Darren and Brian that day, then it makes sense that that is also who was outside that night. Right? That would make three. sense. Three. <clears throat> yeah. That, the three. We just want to make sure that the facts are brought out. Yep. We know what was told to us. We know or we believe we know all of these scenarios, mm -hmm. but okay. it's from what we've been told through our investigation <sighs> and sorrow of 38 years of looking. Okay. Now, as I think was stated very early on, and Richard, I think you said this, that, that yes, you just mentioned within the last few minutes that the police grudgingly took this report 48 hours after Kim went missing. But early in this conversation, you said that really nothing really, really, really got done until like August or September of that year. Is that true? Is that what you said? Yes. Okay. That's because, that's because they sent the paperwork. It was supposed, the paperwork was supposed to go from J police department to Farmington. They put it in one of those little file holders and it never got moved from where it was supposed to go to where it was supposed to go. She never got listed on the NCIC computers, what Diane's trying to tell you, Ed. Yeah, okay. She never got listed on that because that night there, there was a, uh, they had other emergencies going on, the calls came in, just like everything else, the paperwork got shuffled, it got put underneath, and it was four months before it ever got listed. And that only got listed after we finally got state police down there, and uh, that's when we started getting help. Okay. Let's just be very accurate regarding which police department you're talking about who blew you off. Which police department? Police department at the time okay. reported they called Farmington, uh, the Farmington Police Department, which was a sheriff's department up there. Okay. And they were the ones that were supposed to put it on the N on the NCIC computer, and they never did. Okay. Upon the state police finally coming and getting involved in the case, and the only reason that they ever got involved, and this is what the detective told me, okay. was basically to shut us up because we were calling everybody in the state. I mean, as I called the governor, been. we even called Ronald Reagan. <laughs> as you should have. My, my as... family has a letter from Ronald Reagan begging him for help. My daughter's missing. We need help. And mm. he basically replied to us and wow. said, good luck in your search, but there's nothing that I can do for you yeah. in a nice way. Yeah. It was so frustrating because yeah. we were running around begging for help. We were looking at local TV stations, newspapers, putting up flyers, doing anything just like today to keep mm -hmm. Kim's name alive and get us answers. And unfortunately, we're still without answers. The only thing that ever got us uh, to get beyond the J Police Department 
was the fact that we had recorded every single phone call we made, what time of day it was, how long it was, who we right. talked to, and exactly what was said. Yeah, good. And when the state good. police detective, when the state police detective came in and he sat down, we had all these pamphlets all all printed out. There was over 140 pages in it. I remember that. And he sat down, he said, well, why didn't you do this? So why didn't you do that? And we'd tell him, page such and such, page such mm -hmm. and such, call, look here, look there. And he started looking, and at that point, that's where he determined that uh, we, that Kim was not a runaway. She was mm -hmm. missing and endangered, and that's when she, he got right on the phone he called the Farmington Sheriff's Department to have it listed on the NCIC computer, but this is four months later. This is at the end of the summer, into the fall of 1986. And he ended up, he had arrived at the house at, uh, he arrived, the detective arrived at the house at uh, 9 o'clock in the morning, and he never left there until almost 8 o'clock that night, and that was Detective Richard Pickett. Now, the big question here, once this all started to kind of, you know, it's kind of started to pick up some momentum, granted, four or five months later, which is horrible. What did, when they finally talked to Brian, what did Brian, if you know, if you, of course, if you know, would like to hear it, um, what did Brian tell the police about that night? Did he admit that he was even with Kim that night and Rhonda? Did he admit that he, you know, what did he admit to regarding that night or early that next morning? He admitted, he admitted that uh, they, they were together and that after they, after they left, after they left here, uh, left the house, okay. that they turned around and they went on a, one of the party spots, what is called Piss Hill, okay. and that they had, and this I want to be very specific about. Yeah, he stresses that they had consensual sex because he knew that Kim was younger than him and he was over 20. Okay. But he knew Kim was a minor. And he stressed that, that they had consensual sex. And then after that, that he came down and they dropped her off down here where they had met her that morning when they were first riding around. And then later on, he changes his story. Okay. Now, this was at midnight. Okay. Then he says later on, he drops her off at 1 o'clock, only it's in another total, whole different area of town, mm -hmm. down here by the monument, right in town. Okay. And that is at 1 o'clock. And then he changes his story again, and he has it at quarter or 3 in the morning. That he dropped oh. the rock. But none of the... Uh, but, three different times that he's telling us. All right, and uh, just so the listeners can get an idea for this, who is he, uh, how did you find out about these stories, and how far are these stories, these different stories spaced apart? Were like like a week apart, he like told somebody, someone one week, and then somebody the next, or is this like three different stories like over five years or something, just to give us an idea? No, no, no. These here are just weeks apart. Weeks apart. They're just a matter. Of, they're, they're a matter of only a. They're a matter of only a few weeks apart. Okay, and but in none of those stories, I guess, is he saying, "Well, yeah, I took her home, and dropped her right off at her doorstep." 
Right. He's saying that, number one, he's saying that uh, he wanted to bring Kim home, but he says that she didn't want that uh-huh. because she was really confused on what was going on with her life and everything, and she wanted to think about it and walk home. Well, that doesn't make any sense at all because Kim was totally afraid of the dock, and if she was next door, and when I say next door, I'm talking 20 feet from my doorstep, and she was coming home, she would call the house, tell us to turn the light on, that she was coming and somebody to stand on that porch and she would run from one house to the other. The mm-hmm. other thing was, here she is in only a short sleeve shirt, 38 degrees, and she's going to walk up uh, about a half a mile to get home? Yeah. No way. No doggone way in heck are you ever going to convince me of that one. And we also have to remember that just seemingly an hour or more right before that, she just got dropped off at the house so she could go to the bathroom. Right, right. So he had no problem dropping, if we believe it's him, he had no problem dropping her off right at her doorstep for that. But then later he's saying, oh, she's all confused about her life so I couldn't drop her off at home. Right. Okay. She didn't want want that going on. Okay. She wanted to think. All right. And that concludes part one of my interview with Kim's closest family members. Please now find part two on your podcast app where you will hear the second hour of the interview along with my summation. Thank you for listening. I'm Ed Dunsell and you've been listening to Unfound.